Well, welcome everybody. It's good to see you this weekend. Thanks for uh, being with us. Welcome everybody watching online. Thanks for joining us as well. Uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't got to meet you before, uh, I'd love to do that. Love to say hi to you. If you want to come in offline sometime and say hi to me, I'd love to meet you there and uh, connect with you a little bit. Um, before we, uh, we jump into uh, our conversation this weekend, I just want to reiterate again about these camps and these conferences. These are wonderful opportunities, mom, dad, maybe grandparents, uh, to connect your kids to God and to each other. Uh, Heidi and I have prioritized these in a big way in our home. We have six children, so we, it costs a lot of money to send them to camps and conferences. We save all year long, don't feed them, stuff like that. But, but uh, we, we value that so strongly, and we've seen God work in our kids' lives. We've seen them connect with other kids, other loving, godly adults along the way, and they're just a high priority in our home. And I'll just kind of personally say that we feel like the return on that investment is enormous and worth it for us. So we always prioritize that every summer. So encourage you to take advantage of that if you can. If you can't, let us know. Maybe we can help you out. But, but uh, man, it, it, there's great times, worth the time, worth the money. And uh, kids, um, kids connecting in a special way like that is, a, is so, so valuable. So take advantage of it, okay? All right, this series we're in, Good Goals, Bad Gods. Here's the premise of it, that goals are great. Like goals steer us. They prioritize us. They, they make sure that our life is moving forward in a determined, purposeful, intentional way. Great goals, phenomenal things. But if we look to those goals and say, that goal has to come true in order for me to be fulfilled. That goal has to play out the way that I want it to play out in order for me to be secure, me to have meaning, my life to mean something. That goal has to kind of rescue me from wherever it is that I don't want to be. When that goal is expected to play the roles in my life that only God can play, then a good goal starts to become a bad God. God would say, Jesus would say, I alone and the one that should define you, direct you, I alone should have authority over your life. I alone should be the outcome of your life. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I, I am the only one capable of fulfilling you, satisfying your soul, uh, saving you, and making your life as valuable as it can be. So good goals become a bad God when, the, when God is not the God of the goal, when, when the goal is not God, right? And, and we're just laying out what we want and where we want to go, and it loses its place in us. So we've been talking about this for a few weeks. Uh, all these back conversations, are all, they're all online. So through the app or the website, if you, if you want to catch up with those, you can. This weekend... I want to talk to us about relationships and how relational goals, how relationships can become gods, right? So most of our goals that we would set for ourselves, most of the things we dream about and want are intertwined some way with relationships. So everything from like, I really want to meet somebody, I, you know, I, I want to get married or at least have a meaningful relationship to I want my marriage to be better, I want to be a better parent, I want my parents to be better parents, right? I want to be a better kid. Um, I, my friendships, my roommate, my boss, whether we desire that deepening and meaningful part of just good friends and a good relationship, or we need those relationships to work well in order for us to be happy. Like if, I, if we could iron out our marriage problems, then I would have happiness, peace, security, those kind of things. Most of our goals are intertwined relationally with each other. Now, that's actually God's design, right? So God is a relational God, and He made us relational people. He designed us to need each other, to want each other, to desire each other, to want to connect, to want to love and be loved. That, that's all a reflection of our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other. In fact, somebody asked Jesus one time, they said, hey, Jesus, like, what's the two biggest deals? He said, here it is. First one is your relationship with me. I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that's the biggest deal. Your connection with me, my pouring into your life, deal number one. He said, the second big deal is like it. It's love your neighbor as yourself. 
So you guys connect with each other. In fact, most of the time when we're expressing love to God, we do that by expressing love to each other, right? And it's a way that we would do something. If you wanted to bless me, you might bless my children, and that would make me the happiest, right? So that's often the way that it works with God. So God designed us for all of that. And in the, when God is the God and, the, and He is the God of the goal, then ideally what happens is the people in our life, our human relationships, point us toward God. That's His design and His desire. In fact, the Bible says there's only two, two things that a human relationship can do. It can either point you toward God, take you closer to godliness, or it can pull you away from it. Like, those are your options, right? So the Bible says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, as an example, the Bible says, uh, let us consider how we should spur one another on to love and good deeds and not giving up the meeting, to, uh, meeting together as some are the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So God says, that's an example of relationships moving you toward God. Let, let's encourage each other. Let's push each other toward love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together, right? So like if you're watching online, if you have the flu, that's great. Thanks for staying away and not contaminating us. But, but ultimately, like you want to come in and be around people, whether it's, it's here in services or in a, in a streaming site or in a life group, because being together causes those relationships to happen. And God says when those relationships happen and they happen in a healthy, godly way, the outcome of that is godliness. We push one another toward Christ. Now, that's option one. Option two is that relationships can pull us away from godliness. Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. That's the other thing that can happen, is that if I have the wrong relationships, it can pull me away from God and cause me to, to displace or misplace my relationship with God. So there's no such thing as a benign relationship that doesn't do anything, right? There are people that we interact with, we don't interact with them in a relational way. If somebody gives me a coffee or hands me my hamburger, we're not friends, we're just serving each other, working for each other. But when I have a relationship, a deeper connection, it's going to move me toward God, it's going to move me away from God, there really is nothing in between, right? So when I'm looking at my relationship then and I'm saying, okay, so how do I know then if my relationship is become the God instead of God being the God of the relationship, how would you start to feel that out? This is what I put in my notes. Relationships become God's when we desire the applause of people more deeply than the applause of God. So I have this need to connect. I want to connect. People are going to take me to God or they're going to take me away from God. I know that that's out of whack and out of line <clears throat> when I want your approval so much. I desire the applause of people. I want your approval so much that I'll discount what God wants. If, if you will just be my friends, I don't care what we're doing. If, you'll, if, if I got to sleep with you to, stay in the, and to keep dating, that's what I'm doing. I, I want your approval, coach, boss, whoever, husband, wife, kid, parents, I want your approval so much that your applause, your approval means more to me than God's approval. And I will allow your relationship with me to define and direct me instead of my relationship with God to define and direct me. And when those things get swapped around, our relationships become God's. They are steering our life instead of God steering our life. And a good goal to be more connected or to find somebody to date or to get married, whatever, a good goal becomes a bad God when that goal starts to govern my life, okay? Now, I want to show you this in the Bible, <clears throat> um, and we're going to spend a bunch of time in Exodus chapter 32. So if you've got Bibles or some in the chairs or it's on your phone, uh, you can go to Exodus chapter 32. And I want to show you this happening in the Bible, and I want to take you to this part of the Bible where relationships become God's, and it causes the people in those relationships to discount who God is and who God says that they are, okay? And so I want to introduce you to a guy, <clears throat> a guy named Aaron, and I want to introduce you to a group of people named the Israelites, okay? Aaron was somebody that God says he chose, and the Bible actually uses the word he chose and he exalted. Fascinating, God would use that word. So God chose Aaron, then exalted Aaron, and he said to Aaron, in essence, you're going to be the first high priest of Israel, 
and then all of your kids are going to be in that line, the line of Aaron. You're going to be the priests, the pastors, the spiritual leaders of Israel. So that's Aaron. The people of Israel, God calls his chosen people, that this group of Jewish people are the chosen people of God. Again, called out and chosen by God, okay? So we're going to go to Exodus 32, but let me, let me get us to Exodus 32, okay? For a bunch of reasons... The people of God, the Israelites, are enslaved in Egypt, that they, and they've been there for a few hundred years. They were, uh, they were the Egyptian slaves, so Egypt was the superpower of its day. They had a slave class of people, the Israelites, that would do all the construction for the Egyptians. So it's the Israelites who built the pyramids, not aliens. Quit listening to the History Channel, all right? It's all made up. So it's the Israelites who built the, built the pyramids. The Israelites <clears throat> prayed and called out to God, said, God, will you rescue us from this slavery? God listened to them. He raised up this guy named Moses, very cool story, and said, Moses, go face off with the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and tell him to let my people go. Moses is like, I, I'm willing to do that, God, but I'm not a good public speaker. Most scholars believe that Moses had like a stutter, like he didn't speak well in public. And so God said, no problem, bud. I want to help you out. What I'll do is I'll send your older brother Aaron with you. And Aaron will do all the talking for you. You and Aaron go talk to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. So Aaron and Moses go, <clears throat> and they do that. They tell Pharaoh to let God's people go. Pharaoh was like, no, I'm not doing that. And so what God did was a series of miracles to persuade Pharaoh to change his mind. Aaron was in on most of these miracles. So what God did was he like debunked or embarrassed all the Egyptian gods. So he changed the Nile to blood. Uh, he caused the land to be flooded with frogs. Then he did it again with locusts. Uh, he, he caused the, the night to turn to day, and he caused a, a long-term like eclipse over Israel or over Egypt. And a bunch, bunch of stuff like that happened. And finally, after a bunch of them, Pharaoh was like, take them. I don't want these problems anymore. Let the people go. So about three million people, Israelites, followed Aaron and Moses, and they headed off to what God called the promised land. They came to the Red Sea. They needed to cross it because after they left, Pharaoh was like, um, I want my workers back. So he took his army, was going to go get the Israelites back. God used Moses and Aaron, parted the Red Sea. The Israelites crossed on dry ground. Uh, when, when they got across, the Egyptian army chased them. God released the sea back on the Egyptian armies, wiped out the biggest superpower in the world at the time, and set his people free, okay? Now they're out in the wilderness, and they don't know what to do because they can't get a signal. Their GPS isn't working. They use Sprint. So they're out there, right? <clears throat> so they don't know what to do. So God's like, no problem. I will present myself as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Just follow me. So they started following him. They got hungry. They're like, um, we need some food. So God's like, no problem. I will cause manna to show up from heaven. Bread will miraculously appear every morning. And so they started eating that. And then after a little bit, they're like, we need meat. We're CrossFitters. We need protein. Watch my macros. And he's like, fine, quail. So they got meat, protein, and bread every, every morning. And other miracles are happening happening here as well. The Israelites and Aaron, the chosen, God's chosen priests and God's chosen people, are watching all this happening. They're not really walking by faith because they can see everything that God is doing, right? And they're following Moses and Aaron through the wilderness. They get to a place, God says, let's take a break. I want to have a meeting. God calls Moses, Aaron, and Moses' father-in-law into a meeting, the three of them interact with God, and then God says, hey, Moses, want some one-on-one -on -one time with you. So Moses goes up a mountain to hang out with God. Aaron and, and Moses' father-in-law go back to hang out with the people of Israel. When Moses is up with God, that's when God says to Moses, hey, Aaron's my dude. He is my exalted one. He's the high priest of Israel, and all of his kids are going to follow in that line, okay? He also gives Moses the Ten Commandments. While Moses is getting the Ten Commandments and having this conversation about Aaron with God, Aaron goes back down to the people. The people say to Aaron, hey, we don't see Moses. We don't know what happened to him. 
we're scared, we feel insecure, we don't know what to do. Aaron, what you should do for us is you should make us an Egyptian god. And we want you to do that so we can worship that God and that God can lead us to the promised land. Aaron, God's chosen high priest, is like, all right. So he has the people give him gold. He fashions a cow out of it, a calf, makes an Egyptian God, and teaches the people to worship it. About the time they're worshiping, Moses comes down from the mountain, and he's like, what is going on? He kind of blows a gasket a little bit. He's like, Aaron, why did you do this? And Aaron's like, I don't know. Everybody said I had to. He goes, so you made a golden cow? Aaron, Aaron, this is the worst lie in the whole Bible. Aaron goes, no. He goes, I threw their gold into the fire and the cow came out. That's what he said. Hashtag worst lie in Bible, right? So like the cow came out. Moses says, this is defiling God. You're not allowed to do it. He actually took the calf, ground it up and made the people drink it. I just love that part for some reason, right? So he made the people drink it. God punished the people and, uh, and punished Aaron also and restored himself as a rightful God. Okay, now, what I want to do is we're gonna, now we're in Exodus 32. And I want to show you this because what they are going through and what they did is very much like what you and I would struggle with relationally. They, they started to listen to each other and to look to human beings to serve them and to be their gods. The, the, the circumstances are, are a lot like ours. Building a cow and putting it on an altar is an, an ancient culture's version of looking and saying, if that guy was elected president, he would save the country. It's an ancient culture's version of saying, that pop star just defined what is beautiful and meaningful, I will copy her and everything that I do. It's an ancient culture's version of saying, whatever my peers think is good and right is what I'm going to think is good and right. It's looking to people to lead you instead of looking to Christ to lead you, right? It's the same thing, just plays out in a different time in a different way. It's displacing God, putting someone else and looking and saying, I want those people to approve of me instead of Christ himself being proud of me, of who I am and what I'm doing, right? Now, this gets hard because we were created to have relationships. So I want to love you. I want to connect with you. I need encouraged by you. I want to be encouraging to you. So we're kind of in this, this relational mix but how do I keep that from becoming my God, right? When does a good goal become a bad God? So I want us to look at Exodus 32, and, and we'll lay some of this out, and I'll kind of show you how this works some, okay? So I said this. It, it, how do we keep our relational goals from becoming false gods? The first thing would be this, that in order to do that, we need to look to God to meet our deepest relational needs. We need to look to God to meet our deepest relational needs, okay? So let's read this and we'll talk about it, okay? So when the people saw, this is Exodus 32 verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him, all right? So they come to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we want you to make us gods because we don't know what has happened to Aaron and they had needs that they wanted met. Okay, now let's, let's cut them a break here for a minute. Right? Here are these people. They, they have been engrossed in a culture for hundreds of years. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents have all been tied. So they just got ripped away from everything that they've ever known. They're out in the middle of the wilderness and they can't get a signal, right? They're scared. They, they have just been chased by a superpower. They have just been experiencing all these supernatural things that are weird and difficult to experience. They, they are supposed to follow a God that they really have not interacted that closely with for a long, long time. 
So they're scared, they're insecure, they're, they're impatient, like just get me to a safe place. They're, they're rattled, they're frightened, they're, they're lonely, they're all those kind of things, right? And in that moment where they have deep relational needs, my, my soul is aching, my heart is scared, somebody help me. When they have deep relational needs, instead of looking to the one true God, they looked to each other. Let's come up with a solution amongst ourselves. You, Aaron, you make us a God that we can see, we can touch, we can feel, and that we can worship. When we believe, this is how we struggle with it today. When we believe that the key to my happiness and my peace and my security and my fulfillment is found in people, see, we will make those people false gods. And when we do that, a couple of things are going to happen that we don't want to happen, right? So when I look and say, I have a relational need, right? Let, let's, as an example, let's say I'm lonely. I have a relational need. I'm lonely. I'm scared. I'm insecure. I, I was created to be connected with someone else. I want to love someone. I want to be loved by them. I want affection. I want encouragement. I want support. I, I'm lonely, when we have that deep relational need, if we believe that that need is going to be met by another person, what I need, I have a goal, I'm lonely, my goal is to meet someone. My goal is to have a better marriage. My goal is to connect with my kids. My goal is to make friends. If I believe that the secret to fulfilling that need within me is another person, what will happen is this. I will take that person and I will place them ahead of God. And I will make them a false God. And I will look at them and I'll say, I'm lonely. You have to make me not lonely. I'm insecure. I'm scared. You have to make me not scared. You, I have, I, you know, my dad walked out, so I got like daddy issues, like legit ones. What I need is a, is a, is a strong guy in my life. Now, husband, you have to heal these wounds that are in my soul. You have to do that. You are the solution. I have a deep relational need and you have to fix it, right? Now, what happens is this. When I look and say, you have to be my God, you have to solve problems in me that only God can solve. You have to make me feel loved and make me feel joy and make me feel happy and make me feel secure. Two things are going to happen. Number one is this. Whoever you have looked at, a group of friends, a boss, whoever, Whoever you have looked at, you have automatically set that person up for failure. Even in the healthiest of relationships, which we all know that that's a big if, right? Even in the healthiest of relationships, that person cannot be God. You might be married to the greatest guy in the world. He's not God. So every time he fails to be God, instead of appreciating him, enjoying him, respecting him, being grateful for him, all he can do is fail you. He cannot read your mind. He cannot pick up on every emotional cue. He, he cannot make you happy. He cannot uh, look ahead in time and know what you're going to He cannot preordain your days. All he can do is fail you because he's a false god. He can't do it. If you look at a, at a woman and you say, what, what I need is I need you, wife, or you, girlfriend. You, you have to fill me up. I'm insecure. You have to be the perfect cheerleader. 
I need affection. You have to be affectionate to me. I, 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 have, I have emptiness in my life. You have to be my soul mate. You have to fill up that. All you've done, she cannot do anything but fail you. The first time she mixes a cue, the first time she's not as affectionate as you want her to be, the, the first time that, 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 that you think that she talked to another guy, you're going to go ballistic because you're going to look and say, you were not God to me. I have deep relational needs. You didn't do it. You only set that person up to fail you. And then what happens is this. You wind up compounding your loneliness because you want them to be God and they can't do it, but you will keep demanding that they be God. You will drain the relationship. You're supposed to be my friend. I've been needing a friend. I got one. You're supposed to be my friend. You didn't talk to me today. You didn't return my text in a timely manner. You weren't the perfect friend. You failed me as a friend. You didn't like my, my post. You didn't like my Instagram. You didn't retweet my tweet. Jerk, I can't believe it. You, you, didn't, you did something without me. All of a sudden, I want a friend to be the person who never leaves me or never forsakes me. It's impossible for them to do that. You set them up for failure. And I will always be wanting you to fill me up and never be investing back into you because I want you to do what only God can do. I have deep relational needs. You be my God. See? And it, it, it creates a mess for us. And, and this is what the Israelites did. And it's what Aaron was a part of too. We don't know where Moses is. We're scared. We're insecure. Is he dead up there? Nobody knows. Whip us something up, Right? Because we need a God, and any God will do, and that's the first one we thought of. We'll see. We'll worship that. Now, this is what happens. When, when I set somebody up then as a God, see, my, my life would be fine if my parents were better. Well, they, they're going to be imperfect. My, if I just had a baby, all of my emotional needs would be met. <laughs> right? So, right? So, right? So when we set somebody up, to be God, they will start to fail us, but we start to allow them to define and to direct our life because that's what a God does. So because I'm worshiping that, because that's the authority in my life, that God will start to define my actions. This is the next thing I wrote down. If I want to keep my relational goals from becoming my gods, I have to allow my actions to be defined by God, not by people. Whoever is my God will define what I do. And this is what happened with Aaron and the Israelites. Uh, chapter, uh, 32, chapter 32, verse 2. Aaron said to them, all right, you make us a God. You're the God now. Okay. Aaron said to them, all right, take off your gold jewelry that your, that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings, brought them to Aaron. He, he took what they handed him and he made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they, then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They looked and said, it's, lo it's a logical progression. Now that we, now that a person is our God, that person is going to define our actions. So suddenly Aaron's actions are defined not by the one true God. When the people look and say, we need a leader, he doesn't point them back to Yahweh, or, or we would say Christ today. He doesn't point them back to the one true God. He's like, yeah, let's go with the cow thing. Give me your stuff. And my actions start to be defined and directed by the people around me. Okay? Now today, we would say, say it this way. We would call that our culture. So the culture of those three million people said, let's take our stuff and make our own God. When we define, when people define our truth for us instead of God, what happens is this. We draw truth from each other instead of the eternal, unchanging source of truth. Culture, whether it's the culture of your friend group, the culture of your roommate, the culture of your family, whatever it is, culture starts to tell us what is right, wrong, good, bad, instead of an eternal God who would tell us what's right, wrong, good, bad. Now, here's the problem with that. Cultures are historically 
horrible at that. Because in a culture, if majority rules, that's all fine as long as you're in the majority. So it's that type of thinking who would say this, you know what I want? What? I want my life to be easier. And I want to make money. Okay, you know, me too, me too, me too, me too, me too. All right? Majority rules. And we're in the majority. The majority of us believe that that's what we want and what we should do, and that's what we should pursue. Do we all agree? Yes, 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 yes. Okay. You know what we should do to accomplish that? What? We should own people. If we owned people and brought them over and they just worked for us, then, then our life would be easier. Do we all agree? And suddenly something as immoral as owning a human being becomes perfectly acceptable. You know, you know what? And it, because we're the majority or, or we're the strongest, because a cultural norm would be might makes right, right? Whoever's the strongest wins. So traditionally, the strongest person is the men, right? If it's just a physical contest one-on-one, -on -one, it's usually the men as a group that are going to be the strongest, okay? So might makes right. You know what? Since we're the strongest and there's the most of us, you know what we should do? What? We should make women property. We should barter with them. That's why ancient kings would have a hundred wives. Those were peace treaties. That's why all the royalty in Europe is each other's cousin. Because you'd make a peace treaty that way. You'd give somebody your daughter, right? Just sell her, use her, whatever, you know. It's just, it's just a woman. That's all it is, right? We should value, because Mike makes right, we should value men over women. That's why even today in cultures, Abortion rates of females are almost twice as high as males. Just go to China, someplace like that. Because nobody wants a girl. They can't carry the family name. Who wants a girl? Well, who thought all that up? Well, we did. It's, Christ, it's Jesus first and then expanded on by the Apostle Paul. They were the first ones in the ancient world who said, in Christ, there's no male and female. In Christ, that woman is not your property. She's your sister in Christ and God's daughter, you treat her with equal value, right? That's all from the Bible. You pull God out of that as the definer and the director, whatever everybody thinks is, is what you go with. Does, does everybody think that, that the key to happiness is making money? Yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it, I think it. Oh, let's go make money. Does everybody think that the, the key to happiness is, is, is you know, is, is just like uh, do what you want to do, is total freedom all the time? Yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it. Anybody think it leads to anarchy? Oh, I never thought about that. God did. God's truth is timeless. God's truth is eternal. God's truth is a mooring point. When you pull that out of the culture, when you have a godless culture, you come up with horrific ideas. You know there's places in the Middle East right now that if a woman is raped, her claim is invalidated unless three men serve as eyewitnesses to say that the rape actually happened. And if three men don't testify in court that the rape actually happened, she's the one thrown in jail. Who came up with that? Well, we did. We did. It's just a version of this because the God, the God is wrong. And now because the God is wrong, the actions have to follow the God because the God defines and directs and the relationship is what I'm after. I want my friends to approve of me, so I'll just smoke pot. I, I want my buddies to think that I'm great, so I'll act this way. Everybody who's a teenager rebels against their parents, everybody right? It, if it all makes sense and we all want each other's approval, then it's logical that the actions would follow, right? Now, the third thing I wrote down was this. If I want to be sure that my relational goals don't become my gods, what I have to do is I have to anchor myself to something. And the thing that I have to anchor myself is to is God's Word. So, if I don't want that to happen, I have to yield to the eternal truth of the Bible, right? To yield to the eternal truth of the Bible. 
So, so let, let, let's read this and I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it, right? So when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival in the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. This is what happens, okay? When I have a false god, when something else is defining and directing my life, when someone else is, when that false god is in place, that god is going to dictate my actions. Whatever everybody thinks, whoever approval I'm seeking, that's what I'm going to do. If there's a false God, my actions are going to be incorrect. They're going to be false or sinful, the Bible would say. This is what happens. I'm always going to wind up running into God again because God's truth is timeless. God's truth is logical. God's truth is woven into the laws of nature. So if I have a false God, I have false actions, and my false actions are going to run up against God's truth. The only way for me to make my God make sense and my actions to make sense is to change what God says. This is what Aaron was doing. Aaron, you know, give me your gold, let's make a cow, right? And then what he did was this. He took that cow and he built an altar in front of it. They offered burnt offerings and they offered fellowship offerings. An altar was something that God taught his people to build as a way of connecting to the one true God. A burnt offering is actually something that God implemented. It was a way to, to uh, represent how our sins needed to be dealt with. And so you would offer a burnt offering. It was part of, of Jewish uh, uh, religious uh, action, right? It's a way that God taught his people to connect with him. It actually was a really healthy thing that they did all the time. Fellowship offering was the same thing. It was a way to symbolize how we connect to God relationally. What Aaron did was he took the things that God had created for people to connect with him, and he bent them to make the cow make sense. It would be like this. It'd be like if I said to you, hey, everybody should gather together at church, right? And, but instead of talking about Jesus, we're going to have a cow up here. Do not make jokes about my weight. I do not appreciate that. And I don't want to hear it at the gym either, right? So here, here it is. So we're going to have a cow up here, right? We're going to come and we're going to sing songs to the cow. We're going to pray to the cow. We're going to give an offering, a tithe to the cow. We're going to take the things that God gave us to respond to him and we're going to respond to the cow instead. That's what Aaron is doing. This altar is supposed to be to God. It's for the cow. The fellowship offering, you give the God cow. Burn offering for God to the cow. Aaron is looking and saying, you know, if we just change what God said, the cow makes sense. Now, this is, this is what happens. And this, this gets scary, right? This is what happens. If I put a person up, and they become my God that defines and directs me. And they now are steering my choices and my actions. I'm going to run into the timeless, eternal truth of God expressed to us in Scripture. The only way for me to make all of that make sense is for me to change what God said. Yeah, Jeff, listen. God... God doesn't mean that about marriage. Marriage is about being happy and love. And so if you love somebody and they make you happy, you should marry them. Well, the Bible says that marriage is about holiness and illustrating Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ in a physical relationship. And that's why a man and a woman would leave their father and mother and be joined together physically and relationally. That's what the Bible says. That's not what that means. That's not what that means. It's about love. So if you love somebody, you marry them. If you don't love them, you just divorce them. Well, but it is what it means. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's ancient culture stuff. Right? That's ancient culture stuff. You don't understand. But, but it's what the Bible, I mean, it's what it, the Bible says. It's what marriage has always meant. 
from the beginning of recorded history, it's what it's always meant. Not anymore. Now it's different. The Bible says that there, there are two gender roles. There, there, he created male, he created female, like biologically. Even the laws of nature say that. Nah. There's over 50. What? Yeah. But the Bible says, and I mean, the laws of nature, I mean, it, really? Yeah, it's not what that means anymore, man. It's not what that means. The, the Bible says that, that God wants you to be happy. That's his highest priority. He wants you to have whatever you want. I was watching this guy on TV with amazing teeth, and, and that's what he said, that God wants you to be happy. And so if you want something and you envision it, God will give it to you. Well, wait a minute, that's not, that's not what the book says. Oh, yeah, it is. He says God will bless his people. He was talking about a nation of people, the Israelites, and talking specifically about their, their interaction in the Old Testament. Nope, that means us. What do you mean it means us? Are, are we called to walk around the walls of Jericho and they fall down? Well, Jericho's figurative, but it's been excavated. I don't, what do you mean? No, God wants you to be happy. Jesus promised it. Actually, the only thing Jesus promised was that in this world you'll have trouble and people will hate you because of him. That's what the book says. That's not what it means anymore. The, God wants you to have your best life now. Right now on earth. Earth is heaven. Well, that's a letdown. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, earth is heaven. You, you need to live for now. But the Bible specifically says in Corinthians that it's for eternity that we were created. And God himself made us for that very purpose. Nah, that's not what that means. That's just a way to comfort people. When I have a false God and they are defining and directing my actions, I'm going to run into the real God. And I have to suddenly decide what to do with the real God. The Bible says to honor your mother and father as unto the Lord. My mom and dad are jerks. Yeah, there's no jerk verse. <laughs> Bible says to love your wife as yourself. You die. Your goals, your dreams die for the sake and the benefit of your wife. Oh, well, I need a new wife then. The Bible says, that wives, give the best of yourself to your husbands. This is what submit means. Give the best of yourself. I'm not doing that. That's old-fashioned. I am woman. <laughs> and suddenly, whatever I wanted that applause from is driving my life, and it swings around, and I run back into God, and I have to pull an errand. You know what? Let's just make the altar and the burn offering and the fellowship offering, let's just make it mean the cow. And then it all works out. And God would step in there in kind of a strong way and he'd say, listen, two things. One, I love you. That's why I direct you. Two, I give grace to the humble like you not figuring it all out or you, you working out your salvation, fear and trembling, you striving to serve me but doing it imperfectly, I'm with you, I got your back all day long. And I oppose the proud. That word oppose, it's literally an active word. It's God saying this, I will come against you. And there are few illustrations of pride greater than I'll just say God doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, this story has all kinds of twists and turns. Fascinating. Exodus, say, 31, 32 through 34 or so. You can read it if you want. All kinds of twists and turns. And here's the good news. The good news is that it ends with Aaron repenting for having a false god and returning to God and being a godly guy. It ends with the people of Israel going back and remembering that they were chosen, set apart by God, and going back and making God their, their one true God. 
So it kind of has this happy ending. Here's the negative part. Between the cow and the repentance is an enormous amount of pain. Enormous amount of pain. God punishes. He opposes. He disciplines. He corrects. Everybody learns the hard way. Enormous amount of pain. You read it, you'll see it. It's shocking. So the good news is, is that God loves us, forgives us, helps us, is with us, cheers for us. The, the bad news is he doesn't tolerate cows. See? And God looks at us and he says, guys, I love you. I'm not out to get you. I love you so much, I, I like made it clear. I gave my son... My son laid his life down. I gave you the Bible. I gave you the church. I gave you prayer. I gave you hope. I gave you all those wonderful, wonderful things. I, I love you. And I even said crystal clear, number one of the Ten Commandments, hey, have no other gods before me. Because when you make a cow, you're going to go through pain, and I don't want you to. I want you to trust me and follow me. I do want to bless you, not like the TV guys, but for real and deep. I do want to give you all that stuff. But, but you kind of have to take the path I laid out in order to get it. If you've strayed away, you're always welcome home. I'm quick to forgive, eager to forgive. But boy, the misery that can be avoided and if you have a relationship and you say, that's, that's what I want instead of me, good goal, false God, and it will break down on you and hurt you every time. A couple things I might think about if I was you, and, and you can if you want. I might ask myself this question. I might ask myself, and I might look and say this, whose applause am I eager to hear? Whose applause am I eager to hear? Is it the applause of God? And then from the applause of God, actually, God will start ordering relationships. Applause of God, my spouse, my parents, my kids. They start ordering. But whose applause am I really eager to hear? And that's a deep question. Because sometimes that question is as simple as, you know, my friends. Sometimes it's as complicated as, like, my husband, my dad. But I might try to identify that in my life. Whose applause do I want the most? These people or the one true God? Now, the second question, it's kind of a logical one after that. This is where it, it's hard. If I want to hear somebody else's applause more than I want to hear God's, and I've identified kind of the cow in my life, what do I do about that? Because if I have a false God, I don't build an altar in front of it and start doing religious things to try to get that false God to bless me in a way that the true God said he wouldn't. So what decisions do I have to make as a result of that? And sometimes those decisions are, are painful, like I got to get a new set of friends. I, I, I got to, I gotta, maybe I got to break up a dating relationship. It's hard because you look, at, you look at him and you say, well, I'm lonely and I need him. And I would look and say, okay, that, that's fine. Actually, parts of that are healthy. If you took the sex out of it, would you guys still be together? Would he hang around for that? Would she hang around for that? See? So it becomes a painful thing. Then it gets complicated, right? My, my, the, my cow is my husband. Should I divorce him? I need a new husband. Like, no, the Bible would actually say the exact opposite explicitly. So now we get into a conversation, well, how do we order a marriage correctly? How, do, how does a husband lead well? How does a wife interact well? How, how do we make a godly marriage, right? Sometimes it's really hard. The, the person that I want to hear from the most is my dad who's been dead for 10 years. 
I'm still trying to earn his applause. That's deep stuff. That's hard. Okay? And that's where wise counsel and your life group leader and the church and... But, it, but, but, but if you took it all down to its rudimentary element, it's who is God? Who am I serving? Because whoever is enthroned as God dictates the actions, dictates the life, dictates the, what success is. Okay? So who do I want to hear? What do I need to do to put God in his proper place? Right? And how do I align and sink again with the heart and mind of God so that God is the God of the goal? And we're walking the way he would want us to. All right? Okay. Band's going to come out, settle in, and give us some room to think and process a little bit. Let me pray for us as they settle in. Jesus, help us with this. It's complicated, Lord, I think. It's deep, at least in my life it is. I get confused by it. My motives are usually mixed up. And so, God, help us. This is where, Jesus, you gave us the helper of the Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, if you would help us navigate through this, help us to see these nuances in our lives. And God, whether it's approval of our kids or approval of our parents or our friends or whoever, God, to, to see that, to measure it, and to always place you above all things. Jesus, we're grateful that you are worthy of our worship. You are the name that is above every name. It's at your knee, name that every knee will bow, and it's your name that every tongue will confess. So that, that at the core is what we want. We want you to be the one true God of our personal lives. And then as we seek you, all the other stuff falls into place. So lead us down that path. Draw us close to your heart. Help us even today. In your name, Jesus. Amen.